to my heart in the Gospel of John chapter 19. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, I'll read just a few verses. And I won't keep you long at all. Don't know how much we'll preach or what all we'll say. <clears throat> but I want to try to be sensitive unto the Lord. In John's Gospel, chapter number 19, and then I also want to read from chapter 20. We know the Scripture and the record of what's being told here and recorded in the Scripture about Jesus has at this time been arrested. At the end of chapter 18, He's been tried before Pilate. Pilate, of course, finds no fault in him, and he doesn't know what to do. So he asked the Jews, he said, what do you want me to do with this man called Christ? They said, crucify him. Of course, Pilate didn't want to. Pilate's wife came, and she said, I've suffered many things in a dream this night because of this man. She said, don't have anything to do with this just man. Pilate tried to get out of it. He said, you have a custom this time that I release a prisoner. I think it's not recorded in the Scripture, but I think Pilate searched for the worst one he could find in prison at that time. The Bible tells us that Barabbas was guilty of murder and insurrection. He said, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas? This murderer? This man who's guilty? Or do you want me to release to you Jesus, which is called Christ? And they said, give us Barabbas. So Pilate thought that he could scourge Jesus. And that was a cruel thing. He thought that that would satisfy their bloodthirstiness. But it didn't work. He scourged him. He said, I'll scourge him and then I'll release him. They said, no, it won't work. They said, we want him dead. Pilate still tried to get out of it. Here in verse number 12, it's not where I want to read, but the Jews then used political means to get Christ crucified. He said, if you let, they said, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Because they said that Jesus made himself a king against Caesar. Verse 13, it said, when Pilate heard that, he brought forth Jesus. And he said, what do you want me to do? And they said, crucify him. And he delivered him. Verse 16, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away. Verse 17, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Then look in verse number or chapter number 20. After 
Christ has rose from the dead. Mary Magdalene has saw him. In verse 18 it says, Mary Magdalene came, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I'm interested tonight in that statement, Jesus in the midst. I thought about the word midst. It's what come the scripture in John 19 is really what came to my heart first today when the Lord began to deal with my heart about Him being in the midst. We have the record of the greatest event ever recorded in human history. And it happens when He is in the midst. The word midst means the center, the middle. But it doesn't just mean that, it goes on to mean more than that. It means the thickest, most important part, the hub on which all the rest revolves. He in the midst. And if we're going to experience anything of any eternal value, He will have to be in the midst. It will all have to center on Him. He will have to be the most important part. He is the most important part. But we must make Him in our own lives, in our own congregation, in our own assembly. He must be in the midst. It's all about Him. At Calvary, He was in the midst. Redeeming the doomed and the damned in the midst. In John chapter 20, and I don't have very much on my heart tonight, but every time we read about Him being in the midst, He does things that nobody else can do. Nobody else could redeem the doomed and the damned but Him. Nobody else could satisfy the wrath of God for the sin of man but him. And he did it when he was in the midst. In John chapter 20, he is resurrected from the dead. And he did it in the midst. He has risen and he shows up in the midst to testify unto them that he has risen from the dead. Nobody else could do that. And he only did it in the midst. For you see, if he hadn't risen, Paul said our faith and our preaching would be in vain. If Christ had not risen, the Calvary would have been in vain. The crucifixion would have been in vain. The sacrifice would have been in vain had he not got up. And he showed himself in the midst. That's what the Bible said in John chapter 20. It said he came and stood in the midst. It's recorded also in the Gospel of Luke that He is in the midst. 
It's also recorded in uh, verse number 26 of this same chapter. We could have went on and read it. Uh, where Thomas is not here. And they come to him and they said he's alive. And Thomas said, I won't believe until I put my fingers in the prints of the nails and thrust my hand in his side. I can't believe. I won't believe. The Bible said in verse number 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. You say, why did he come this time? He had already redeemed the doomed and the damned. He had already paid the sacrifice. He had already resurrected from the dead. Why did he come again? To relieve the doubts of a man named Thomas. Thomas said, I cannot believe. And nobody else, John, could have testified until it was blue in the face that he's alive. Peter could have testified and said, I went in and I saw the napkin lying in a place by itself and the clothes lie. And it looked like one preacher said that they'd just jerked the body out and that laid. And they could have testified. Mary could have testified and said, I heard him speak. The others could have testified and said he stood in the midst. But Thomas said, I can't. I cannot believe until I see him for myself. See what I'm saying is John couldn't relieve Thomas's doubts, and Matthew couldn't relieve Thomas's doubts, and Peter couldn't relieve Thomas's doubts, and Mary couldn't relieve Thomas's doubts, and all the rest of them put together couldn't relieve Thomas's doubts. But there was one man who could, and he stood in the midst. And when he was in the midst, Thomas declared. My Lord and my God. He said, reach into thy hand, Thomas. Put your fingers in my hands. Thrust your hand in my side. It never does say that Thomas had to do it. He just saw him and that was enough. And when he was in the midst, it cured all Thomas' trouble. And I'm going to tell you, we're living in a day of Christians who have so much doubt and worry and grief and fear. And I understand we live in the flesh and it's part of it. But I'm going to tell you the cure for it all is for him to be in the midst. The McCamies, I don't know if they wrote it, but I know they sung a song that says in the middle of it all, there was Jesus. And I'm going to tell you tonight, if he could ever be in the center, if he'd get in the hub, if we'd put him in the middle of it all, and let everything else revolve around him and cure a lot of trouble. It'd relieve a lot of doubts. Oh yeah, it would. It'd remove a lot of them griefs and a lot of them fears if he was in the midst. I got these scriptures wrote down because I can't remember them all. But I thought about it in Luke chapter 5 and I'm about done. I just got about three more. And there are other places in the Scripture, but these are the ones that really resonated with my spirit today. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes into Capernaum and He goes into the house and He goes in the midst and it's noised abroad that He's in the house and they've come to Him bringing one sick of the palsy born of four. And the Bible said they couldn't get to Him for the multitude, so they went up on top of the house and they uncovered the tiling and they let him down and Jesus in the midst. You say, what happened? He recovered him 
of his disease because he was in the midst. See, it's not just about the fact that he's it. That's why I said that the word midst means more than just middle. It's not just the fact that positionally speaking that Jesus was in the middle of the house, but it is the fact that he everything revolved around him. It wasn't about who was there and who wasn't there. It wasn't about what they had on or didn't have on. It wasn't about what they drove or didn't drive. It wasn't about what they had or didn't have. It's about the fact they needed Jesus Jesus and Jesus alone. The writer of the red back book said, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. And I'm telling you, we live in a society that we've been told we can help each other, that the preacher can help you and the church can help you. And that statement might be true to an extent, but I'm going to tell you there's a man who can help you when nobody else can and do what nobody else can do. And when he's in the midst, it will work. In the midst. In the midst. I thought about in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 20. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I understand that there's some covenant promises. I understand in the context of that chapter there are some apostolic promises that are made to the disciples. I understand that. But the reality of that promise still stands true. It's not about the number. It's not, and I understand He lives in us. I understand that, that He is in us, in the midst of us. But He is saying, when you come together in unity, when you make it all about me, when you come in my name, when it's not about what's going on out there, or even really what's going on in here, but when you make it all about me, He said then I'm going to be in the midst of you. I believe that's right. I believe that's right. You say, what's he doing? Well, I just, and you know, I don't really, you know I've said it before, I don't worry so much about everything starting with the same letter, but it just kind of come to me today. And I thought he's rewarding determination. He's saying if you can get past everything else and get your mind and your heart on me and come to my house with me on your mind and me alone and agree together that it's all about me, he said, I'll be in the midst. I believe that's right. But I'm going to tell you something. You'll have to be in the midst of your house your home before he'll be in the midst of this house. He'll have to be the hub, the center on which your house revolves if he's to be the hub on which this one revolves. For he instituted the home long before he instituted the church. And the church is just made up of homes that are to be centered around Christ. I believe that's right. I believe that's right. And so he's got to be in the midst. 
See, our problem in this day, and I'm done as far as I know. Our problem in this day is we want to put God in the closet or we want to put Him in the trunk like a spare tire. I think it was D.L. Moody, that great preacher of days gone by, that said most Christians regard God like an airman regards his parachute. It's there in case of an emergency. But he hopes it never gets so bad he has to use it. And that's about the way most people treat God. Lord, you're there. Yeah. And when trouble comes, I know where to find you. But until then, I make it on my own. And we have seen that displayed all throughout history. And I'm not doing any discredit to anybody or anything, but I thought about how America has strayed away from God, how we've become self-sustaining, independent, and we think that's independence from God Himself. And when tragedy came on September the 11th, 2001, we went running to the back bedroom. We went running to the closet. And we opened the door and wanted to pull God out and say, Lord, we need you now. And it looked like, I mean, it looked like that but for a short time that God was again in the midst, that God was in the center, but it was very short-lived. When the trouble was over, when the calamity was past, we pushed Him right back in the closet and said, we'll come get you when we need you again. And we can talk about our nation, but we're doing that in our churches. We're doing that in our homes, in our families, in our marriages. We're pushing God to the side. We're going to stores and buying the books by all the renowned authors and saying we'll raise our children and we'll lead our lives based on their directions and we'll come get you, God, if we need you. What happened to him being in the midst? In Revelation chapter 5, he's in the midst. John said, I saw in the midst of the four and twenty elders a lamb as it had been slain. And the lamb reaches forth to take the book that no man was worthy to open. And he opens it and the Bible said those four and twenty elders and all the beasts and all the angels fell down and worshipped him. And they said, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor, majesty and power. Say, so what's he doing? He's receiving the glory due to his name when he's in the midst. See, we've been talking about worship. You'll never worship him until he's in the midst. It can't be done unless he's in the midst. The greatest sin, and I, I'm done, and I know it ain't been much on my part, just a few scattered words, but it's what's on my heart. The greatest sin and trouble, I think personally, with the church at Laodicea was not that they were blind, was not that they were naked, was not that they thought that they had something they didn't have. But the greatest trouble and sin for Laodicea was that the Lord that used to be in the midst was now on the outside knocking to come in. And that's where we are today. 
the Lord that used to dwell in the midst has now been pushed to the outside and He's a-knocking, wanting somebody. That's what He said. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Is he in the midst? That's where he must be for anything to be accomplished. That's where he must be for us to worship. That's where he must be for our homes to be right, for our families to be right, for our marriages to be right, for our churches to be right, for our individual lives to be right. That's where he must be. And I want to say this and I'm done. He can't just be in the midst here and then be somewhere else at home. But he's going to have to occupy here what position he occupies at home. If we push him to the outside tomorrow, it ought to be no surprise that he's on the outside when we come to the house of God. If we look him over tomorrow and the next day, why should he feel wanted? Why should he feel loved? Why should he feel desired when we come to the house of God? When we've overlooked him every other day of the week. If we can get up in the morning and and begin our day and never give God a second thought. And then yet when we, and I'm not being mean, I'm saying we. We, we, we are all guilty. Every single one of us. I'm satisfied tonight there's not a soul in this building that you've not had days that you just kind of looked him over. That we get so wrapped up and caught up and drawn away with all the things and the busyness and the hustle and the bustle of this life. And then suddenly we want to correct it all when we come to the house of God. We come on Wednesday nights, and I'm just preaching tonight. We come on Wednesday night and we bow on the altar together to pray. And I know God can. He can overcome anything. But we bow to pray and we think all help ought to fall and we ain't prayed one single time since we left the house of God on Sunday. Or we come next Sunday and it might be bad enough that we've not prayed from Sunday to Sunday or that we've not thought about Him from Sunday to Sunday and we come in on Sunday and sit down on the pew and we think, well, bless us, Lord. Why would He? Why should he? How can he when he's not in the midst? I'm not saying that God's impotent, that God can't. God can. But you understand what I'm saying. How can he when he's not first and foremost? When it don't, God help us in this day, in the church age, when the church itself does not revolve around him. Used to be, and I'm done. I've said that several times already, but I'm done. Used to be that when meeting was called or a service was called, everything else revolved around the house of God. And it wasn't. I want you to hear me now. It was not that everything else, their lives revolved around the house of God as much as their lives revolved around God. And so this place was a priority. What went on in this place was a priority. 
But now we live in a day where the preacher's got to make sure that people aren't doing this or doing that. And I understand we need times apart. and time. I'm not being mean or knocking anybody, but I'm saying, God, help us. God, help me that He be in the midst. That everything that we say or do, we ought to get up in the morning. God, help us to get up in the morning. Start our day with Him. And say, Lord, whatever I do today, let it all revolve around you and bring you honor and bring you glory. And at the end of the day, God, can I be well pleased? And more than that, can you be well pleased with what I've done today? Because I've done it around you. My Bible still says, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul said, whether you eat or you drink, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever we put our hand to, do it all to the glory of God. Because He's in the midst. We don't understand that mentality sometimes. We think, well, we're going out and we're going to work. We ought to just pray, Lord, let me work as unto you. Let me do what I'm doing as if I was doing it for you. Let my light shine while I work that you might get the glory out of me. That's what we're supposed to do. Let our light shine before men that they may see our good works. And that can't just be in the church because if it was, we'd just spend all our time here. But we're to go out there among an unregenerate world among those that I just talked about, the doomed and the damned, that He came and died for them, and they ought to see something different in us. Because He is in the midst. And if He's in the midst, everything else, we've spent our time, and I understand there are times to preach on certain things and specific things, and if God leads me to do that, I'm not afraid to. I mean, I'll do what God, uh, by His grace, I, and uh, all that I can, I'll do what God tries to tell me to do. Uh, but I'm telling you, if we could get Him fixed in the midst, it would cure all the other trouble. Wouldn't we have to spend our time preaching we're blue in the face about how to live and how to dress and how to act. If He was in the midst, if everything revolved around Him, everything else would fix itself. The cure for it all is for Him to be in the midst. He can do what no one else can do when He is in the midst. Father, I thank You this morning or this evening, Lord, for the privilege to come together and be in Your house with Your people. I thank You, Lord, for each one that's come and for their presence in the house of God. I know, Lord, tonight, as far as my part's concerned, Lord, it's just been a few words, Lord, short tonight. But, Lord, I've done my best to deliver what you placed upon my heart. God, would you help each one of us, myself included, Lord? Lord, would you help me tonight, Lord, to put you in the midst, to let everything I do be done for you, for your glory, for your honor. That when we rise in the morning, may we start our day with you. 
May we go through our day with you. And Lord, may we end our day with you. That you might be glorified and magnified among us. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for being in the midst of us in days gone by and helping us, Lord, in these days. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to guard against, Lord, putting you somewhere else in our lives. May you ever stay, Lord, in the midst, in the center, in the hub, and may everything in our lives, everything about us, our homes, our families, our marriages, our church, may it revolve all around you. Lord, may you add your blessings to every home and every family. May you add your blessings to this little assembly. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I look forward, God, to the things you have for us in the days to come. And Lord, for all that you do, we'll praise you and we'll thank you and give you the glory for you're worthy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.